So if you would, turn to chapter 1. And as we prepare for this youth service, I know we're in the book of Ruth. I know that she was a very hard-working woman, but it took every ounce of energy I had to convince uh, Addie Beth and Finley and Macy that uh, singing, working nine to five is not just a service you ought to <laughs> sing, a song you ought to sing in the worship service. Uh, you know, I don't know what Ruth's hours were. Uh, they wanted Dolly in the service some way or shape or fashion. Uh, <laughs> oh, but uh, they're such a blessing to, to our hearts. Uh, uh, we're in Ruth 1, working our way through this glorious book in the Old Testament. And one of the greatest privileges and responsibilities I have as a minister, a pastor, is uh, performing wedding ceremonies. And uh, it's a solemn occasion. It's a sacred moment. It's a consecrated event. And it is one in which everyone anticipates. And there are certain parts of the ceremony that, that people look forward to. And one of those parts is the exchanging of vows. And on more than one occasion, I have been in a uh, ceremony and the bride and the groom have decided to write their own vows. And I have watched as the bride looks into the eyes of her groom, and she says something along these words. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And I've watched her say that with all the sincerity that she could muster as she pours out her commitment and speaks that vow to her groom. But what I find interesting, somewhat ironic, is that those words were not first spoken by a bride to her groom. In fact, those words were not first spoken in the context of a beautiful ceremony. Those words were first spoken in the context of a painful tragedy. And those words were first spoken by a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Those words come from Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16 as Ruth speaks these words to Naomi. And my question is, what prompted this vow of devotion? What prompted these words of affection and love? Well, our text will tell us this morning as we begin in Ruth 1 verse 6. Scripture says, Then she arose, speaking of Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, 
Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way. For I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred up because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Well, Naomi, from this point forward, becomes the focus of the book of Ruth. And we know up to this point, the opening verses, that she has endured a difficult 10 years. The last decade has been hard on Naomi. She, out of obligation and loyalty to her husband, followed his lead when he took his family out of Bethlehem to go down into the land of Moab in order to survive the famine. And while there, her husband Elimelech died. And not only has he died, but also her two sons have died as well, Milon and Kilion. And we pick up the story with Ruth standing with her two daughters-in-law, now widowed themselves. And they're faced with a difficult question. What in the world are they going to do? She's got two daughters-in-law. She's in a foreign land. And she really has no hope. Daniel Block, commenting on Ruth's situation, said that, These women, they had a present without men and a future without hope. They're faced with the ultimate decision. What are they going to do? And in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the sorrow, each woman seems to respond a little bit differently. Naomi, she responds with a deep depression. I can understand that. Orpah will respond with desertion. She's going to leave. But Ruth responds with devotion. She is going to be steadfastly, fully devoted to her mother-in-law 
and to her purpose that God has for her in life. Now, what is devotion? Uh, Webster defines devotion as this, as the act or state of being ardently dedicated and loyal, of being dedicated and loyal. Ruth embodies dedication and loyalty and thus devotion in our text. She is devoted to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But what we see in the text that makes Ruth's devotion so wonderful, so spectacular, so glorious is this. Is that it is a tested, it is a challenged devotion. Now what I mean by that is this. Anyone can be devoted during good times. Anyone can be faithful during good times. But her devotion is challenged during difficulties. You know, anyone can be devoted when things are easy. It's easy to follow Jesus when he's feeding 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. But it's a different story when Jesus teaches hard truths and those 5,000 start leaving one after the other. So much to the point that Jesus says, will you also go with them? It's easy to be devoted when you're serving along the Apostle Paul, alongside him. As long as the sick are being healed and sinners are being converted and churches are being established. But when the world begins to tug at you and ministry gets difficult, it becomes easy to become like a Demas who forsakes Paul because he loved this present world. Devotion will be challenged. It is easy sometimes even to be devoted to a spouse when you're on your honeymoon. But it's after that, going through difficulties and going through ups and going through downs, down times, that causes our devotion to our spouse to be a beautiful thing in the eyes of God. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else out of the message, get this. A devotion that cannot be tested is a devotion that cannot be trusted. If your devotion cannot be tested, then your devotion cannot be trusted. It is worthless. And so what we find in our text is we find that Ruth's devotion is put to the test and that her devotion passes the test every single time. And from her example, we're going to walk out of this church house and I promise you this, your devotion and my devotion is going to be challenged. It's going to be tested just the same as Ruth's devotion was tested. And I pray that our devotion will pass the test just as Ruth's passed the test in our text. So what I want to do is I want to give you three tests that your devotion is sure to face in life. Three tests that God, by his grace and his mercy and his kindness, that he will supply what we need to pass these tests with flying colors. The first test you can mark down that your, that your devotion will face is the test of difficulty. The test of difficulty. Verses 6 through 13, it's safe to say things have been miserable in Moab. Death's bony hand has reached out and snatched Elimelech and Milon and Kilion. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are husbandless. They are helpless and they are hopeless in, a land, in the land of Moab. Their present is unbearable. Their future looks dreadful. And the average person would look at their situation and they would say, throw in the towel. 
Don't keep fighting. Don't keep going forward. Just give up and quit. It's not worth it. And just like them, there are going to come times in our life, there's going to come times when the stress gets to us and burdens get to us that we're going to feel the same way. We're going to feel like giving in and giving up would be the best action that we could take. But we must maintain our devotion in the midst of difficulties just as Ruth did. You know, it's important that we are devoted even though sometimes devotion defies good intentions. Now, here's what's going on in verses 6 through 10. There is a ray of hope that shines into the storyline. In verse 6, we find that God has visited his people back in Bethlehem. And this is the first time the Lord is mentioned in the book of Ruth. And it shouldn't shock us that he's mentioned as providing for his people. They leave Bethlehem 10 years earlier because there's a famine. Now as they're working in the fields of Moab, news comes that God has blessed the land of Bethlehem now. And he's given them food. He's given them bread. And now the women pack up to leave. And as they get ready to leave in verse 7, in verse 8, something happens. Naomi decides that it might not be good for her daughters-in-law to go with them, with her. So she turns and she attempts to dissuade them from going with her. Dr. Danny Aiken said that her intentions are good, but her judgment is clouded. Now, Look what she says to them. The first thing she says to them in verse number 10 is, or in verse number 8 is, go return each of you to her mother's house. Now, this is interesting. I don't know why she doesn't say go to your father's house, as it oftentimes does in Scripture. It could be one of those instances where Ruth knows that those two women, Orpah, or Naomi knows that Orpah and Ruth are grieving, and during moments of grief, during moments of sorrow, during moments of intense emotional pain, who does most people want to be with? Their, their mama. They want to be with their mother. I get it. When my daughters are sick, they don't want daddy. They want mommy. And so Ruth knows that at this moment, or, or Naomi knows at this moment, Orpah and Ruth have buried their husbands. They don't need to be with their mother-in-law. They need to be with their mother. And so she says, return to your mother's house. And notice verse 8 again. She asks a blessing on them. She says, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. Now she's asking God to do something for them. And let me show you something. The word kindly in verse 8 is the most important word in the book of Ruth. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most important words in all of the Old Testament. It is the Hebrew word hesed. Uh, may not mean much to you now, but it means everything when you read the Old Testament because here's what it means. The Hebrew word hesed is the word that speaks of God's covenant loyalty and God's covenantal love. And here's what she's asking. She's saying, I'm asking that God would be loving to you, God would be kind to you, and God would bind himself to you in covenant. This word is so important. It's used over 245 times in the Old Testament. Most of the time, it is used to express God showing hesed, kindness to someone else. In the New Testament, it is the 
Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word agape, which speaks of God's unfailing, undying, eternal love. And basically what she's saying to her daughters-in-laws is this. Go back to your father's house and I pray that God is going to show love upon you, that he's going to bless you, that he is going to be good to you. It's interesting. Naomi thinks they've got to go back to their father's house to get the kindness, the goodness, the hesed from God. But it can only be found. It can only be found in his house, in his place, where he is leading them to come back to. And so she asked that blessing upon them. But here also she asked something else. She's being tender and kind. Verse 9, she says, May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now she knows that these women need husbands. It was back before Social Security, back before women had a safety net. Um, and if they didn't have a husband, especially at a young age, they were basically forced to do two, one of two things. Either you find a man and marry him, um, or you go into prostitution in order to try and provide for yourself to keep from starving to death. So their outlook did not look good at all. And so as she lays this on them, the gravity of the moment seems to get them. And at the end of verse 9, they kiss each other, they hug each other, and they weep uncontrollably. They have a good woman's cry together. And so what are they going to do? Well, verse 10, they respond. And their response is admirable because Orpah and Ruth both say to Naomi, their mother-in-law, No, we will not return with you, or we will return with you to your people basically what they're saying is this your intentions are good Naomi I know you love us we know that you care for us and you want us to be safe you want us to be happy and and but but the thing is your your intentions are good but your mind is not right because think about this she's asking them to return to their people who are their people the Moabites the Moabites are the sworn enemy of the people of God the Moabites, they're the wash basin of God. The Moabites, the people whom God forbade that is to allow them to enter into the people of God for 10 generations, which is a way of saying forever, go return to them. She's not thinking straight. And then return to your God? She wants them to go back to worshiping Chemosh? That, that, that pagan god who demands the, the, the sacrifice of children and who is only appeased through the blood of children, go worship that god? Oh, you see, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. And that's exactly where Naomi is. But Ruth says, no, I'm not going. And so in the face of good intentions, sometimes we must be devoted to God and to his truth. But secondly as well, sometimes devotion defies great logic. Verse 11 through 13, Naomi tries a second attempt. Now, the first attempt, she tried tenderness. I mean, that's pretty tender of Naomi. Uh, find you a husband, the Lord bless you, the Lord grant you, the Lord give hesed to you. But now she's going to use the truth. Now she's going to use cold, hard facts. Because if her good intentions doesn't get them, Maybe just brutal truth will convince them to go back into Moab. Now, watch her logic as she walks them through this argument. 
All right, verse 11. She says, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Now, you have to stop right there. And the reason she's saying that is because in their culture, they had the law of what was called the leveret marriage, which means that if I married a woman and I died, okay, uh, then she was obligated to marry my next of kin. Now, if I had a younger brother who was single or an older brother who was single, she would have to marry him. Raise up a kid in my name so that my name would not die out. So she's saying this to them. I can't have another child for you. If you go back with me, you're going to be husbandless. I don't have sons in my womb. And then she continues. She says, Have I sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? And the answer is no. Verse 12, turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. She said, okay, now let's get some more facts out there. I'm an old woman. I can't find a husband. I mean, as a matter of fact, she doesn't even have a prospect. She she doesn't have a boyfriend right now. And and she says, I have no husband. And now she's going to get hypothetical. Look what she says. If I should say I have hope, Even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? And here's her hypothetical situation. Let's say Naomi strikes it rich. She she finds a husband tonight, okay? She conceives a child tonight. She skips nine months of bearing that child in her womb, and she gives birth to that child tonight. Would Orpah and Ruth wait until though that son was old enough to marry so they could marry that, that son? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. But that's not the real reason that Ruth or that Naomi doesn't want Ruth and Orpah to go with her. Here's the real reason. Naomi sees herself as bad company. Look verse 13. She says. Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. Watch this. That the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. That phrase is used three times in the Old Testament. And each time it is used in Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Judges, it is used to describe the wrath of and the judgment of God that is poured out upon the enemies of God. Here's what Naomi's saying to Ruth and Orpah. You don't want to be near me. God hates me. I'm cursed. These things that have gone on in my life have gone on because God is out to get me. You may be collateral damage if you follow alongside of me. Get as far away from me as you can. Now, Up to this point, you have to give Naomi credit. Her logic seems to be flawless. And you know what the average person would have said to Ruth and to Orpah at this moment? Listen to her. Leave. Get out of Dodge. Get as far away from her as you can. Don't be devoted. But do you know devotion stands fast in the midst of difficulties? When staying would be... Difficult and leaving would be easy. Devotion says stay. Devotion means staying when it makes more sense to leave. Devotion means staying when you would even like to leave. 
But when it doesn't make sense to be steadfast and to be devoted and to be loyal, do you know what we're called to be? Steadfast and devoted and loyal anyway. So the first test our devotion faces is the test of difficulty. Now the second test that our devotion will face in life is the test of desertion. The test of desertion. In verse 14 through 18, Naomi's second discourse works with Orpah. It convinces Orpah to return back into Moab. In fact, she kisses her mother-in-law in in verse 14, and they all weep. And Orpah leaves, and she goes back into the land of Moab. But Ruth is in stark contrast to Orpah here. Ruth will not go, and her devotion stands out. And her devotion shows us a couple of things. One, it shows us that devotion is revealed by what we do. Look at the difference in verse 14. It says, they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Do you know the word clung? The Hebrew word clung here is the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24 when it says that a man would leave his father and mother and cling to his own wife. Listen, what action Ruth is taking here as she is clinging to Naomi Put it in Justin's translation. She lays a death grip on her and will not let her go. No, I'm not leaving. And look in verse 15. Naomi's pointing at Orpah. And she says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Again, it makes no sense for Naomi to say this to Ruth. Return to her people, the Moabites. Return to her God, Chemosh? No, absolutely not. Verse 18 says that when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Do you know that Ruth's devotion was seen by Naomi? She saw she was determined to go with her. And do you know your devotion and my devotion is evident to those who are around us. They see it. They see what we're devoted to. They see what we love. They see what we are committed to. And so my question to us this morning is, what do people see when they observe our devotion? What is it that we're devoted to? Who is it that we are devoted to? Because devotion is seen by what we do. But secondly, devotion is seen by what we say. After she clings to her, Ruth opens her mouth and now she speaks. And we see exactly what it is that caused her to stay with Naomi when Orpah left her. Look what she says in verse 16. Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. In other words, she's saying this. Hush, please. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to go away. And you're not going to convince me to do it. I am staying here through it all. Notice, for where you go, I will go. North, south, east, or west. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Whether it's a cave or a cottage, a palace, or whether it's in a tent, I'm sleeping where you sleep. Your people will be my people. That is, your nation, your family, your people. Israel will be my people. Don't miss this. And your God, my God. 
If you're not careful and you read over this, you will read over one of the greatest conversions in all of the Old Testament. What is Ruth doing here? Ruth here at this moment is renouncing Chemosh. She's renouncing the gods of her people. And she is saying here, Yahweh is going to be my God. The Lord God of heaven, the God of Israel is going to be my God. She has a Rahab moment where where her heart melts and she trusts in God. And now at this moment, Ruth is no longer a pagan. Ruth now, because of the work done in her heart and because she has confessed God with her mouth, she now is a convert. She now is saved. What a beautiful, glorious picture of God's saving grace. That it reaches and it extends well beyond financial, social, racial, geographical boundaries. Ruth has nothing to offer. She's poor. She has no money. And yet grace grabs her. She is of the wrong race. She is a Moabite, an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. And yet grace snatches her. She has a dull future ahead of her. She has nothing to offer. And yet grace snatches her. And isn't it just like the grace of God to do that to helpless, hopeless people? Listen, Ruth stands as an example of what Joel said and what Romans 10, 13 says, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Here is her open confession. She confesses with her mouth, the Lord God of heaven, he will be my God. And then she says, where you die, there I will be buried. And she says, you ain't even going to get away from me in death. Because I'm going to make sure that I'm going to be buried right beside of you. Keep this in the context of Orpah's desertion. Because Ruth is pointing at Orpah, or Naomi's pointing at Orpah, and she's saying, will you go with her? Go with her. And Ruth is saying, no, I'm not going to go with her. I'm not going to be like her. I'm going to stay. And she stays because devotion is seen in what you do. And then she confesses because devotion is seen in what you say. And then there's a third test. The third test. And this one might be the most difficult of all. It's what I call the test of discouragement. Because what happens is, Naomi realizes that Ruth is being beautifully stubborn. She's not going to be able to convince her to go. She's not going to be able to convince her to go back to Moab. So she just lets her come back. But Naomi is bitter. She's hurt. She's angry. She can only think about herself. One would think she would be elated that she had a daughter-in-law like Ruth who would be willing to go back to Bethlehem with her. But you can't find it in the text anywhere. As a matter of fact, it's almost as if Naomi completely ignores Ruth, pays her no mind at all, and attempts to try and even discourage her. How do you see that? Well, look at what happens. They go back into Bethlehem, verse 19 says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, 
Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Listen. In the background, Ruth is standing by her side. Even though the text doesn't really say it, we know that she is. And you know what Ruth is doing? Ruth is being faithful and being devoted in the face of Naomi's resentful attitude. And thus we find in the text that when others are resentful, we should be devoted. Now notice this. They come back into Bethlehem. The Bible says it causes a stir as they enter back in. And, and, and as they walk through Bethlehem, you hear the whispers. People are whispering, hey, is that Naomi? Boy, she doesn't look the same. Last time I saw her, her hair was jet black. Now it's silvered over. Last time I saw her about 10 years ago, her skin was fair and beautiful and there wasn't a wrinkle anywhere. And now her face bears the evidence of grief and pain. Oh, last time I saw her, her her eyes beamed. Now they're dark. Last time I saw Naomi, she smiled all the time and now it doesn't look like she smiled in years. Is this Naomi? And she hears them. And she knows what her name means. Naomi means pleasant. Is this Naomi pleasant? And she stops them and she says, oh, wait. Wait. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara, you recall, is the place in Exodus when the children of Israel just came out of Egypt. They took a three days journey into the wilderness of Shur. And they were thirsty, and they came to the waters of a place called Marah. And they were so thirsty, but they went to drink the water, and they couldn't because the water was so bitter. Ruth is saying, my life now tastes like that water did. It is bitter. Nothing good in it. Nothing refreshing in it. And, and my life, it seems that if anything could go wrong, it has gone wrong. I am Bitter. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like Naomi feels in this text? Have you ever felt like if something can go wrong for you, it will, that God is out to get you, that if it wasn't for, and I don't even like the phrase, if it wasn't for bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck at all. Although there's no such thing as luck, but that's the way you feel. Well, that's the way Naomi is. Do you sense Her bitterness, her pain. As a matter of fact, she explains to us her mindset, why she feels this way. You remember in verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. I'm God's enemy. Well, look what she says here in verse 20. She says that the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. The word Almighty is the Hebrew word El Shaddai. That literally means the all-powerful God. The God who created all things That God's out to get me. And when he's out to get me, I don't have the power to stop him. And look what happened. Then she says, the Lord, that is Yahweh, has brought me back empty. Oh, she left with a husband. She left with two sons. 
And now in her mind, she comes back with nothing. And then she says, the Lord has testified against me. Literally, what she is saying is this. Everything that has gone on in my life now stands as a testimony that God hates me and he's out to kill me. And it's a slow, agonizing death. He won't just put me out of my misery. It is a slow death that I'm dying here. And then she says, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. He has inflicted me with this pain. Wow. Listen, you would be hard-pressed to find anyone in a more depressed, a more sorrowful, a more painful state than what Naomi is in in this text. Now, in one sense, she is partially correct in the sense that everything that had happened in her life had come as a result of at least God's permitted will. Nothing, nothing, and I mean nothing, comes into our life except it first pass through the hand of God. Things just don't happen. Things just don't pop up out of the blue. Nothing surprises God. And everything comes into our life through either the providence, the permission, or the, or the, the action of God in our life. But now, Naomi is messed up. Because her perception is clouded by her pain. Do you know when people are in pain emotionally, physically, sometimes they say things that, that aren't true. And sometimes they even say things they don't mean. Uh, I've, I've been with people who at a moment of great, a great tragedy, a moment of great pain, a moment of great loss, that, that they say things that they later regret in life. And, and, and listen, I, and I, don't, I don't take it to heart. Why? Because I know sometimes their perception, like Naomi's, clouded by the pain that they are enduring. She cannot see God's providential plan that's about to bring her into blessing because of her bitterness and because of her brokenness. What do you do with someone like Naomi? What do you do? You know what you do? You do exactly what Ruth does. You just be there for them. You just be there for them. You know, people ask me all the time, what do you say to somebody who loses a child? What do you say to them? You know what I tell them? I have no idea. I've been doing this for 17 years. I have no idea what you say. You know what I've learned? There are times you just cry with people. There are times you just weep with people. There are times you just mourn with people. There are times you, you, you're just there. You're just there. Right? And that's what Ruth is doing here. And in the midst of the pain, in the midst of Naomi's resentfulness, even toward God, angry at God, why did my loved one die? Why did my spouse die? Why did my child die? That's Naomi. Why? Why, God? You see, our pain has the ability to make us look backwards and look now rather than to look up and to look forward. And when we look back and we look at now, we sometimes, oftentimes, miss the hand of God that is actively at work in our life. And so that's what's going on in Naomi's life. But Ruth stands faithful. But then, devotion also calls us to be steadfast when others are neglectful, 
Look here. Look in verse 21 again. She says this, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back. What's that next word? Empty. Now, if I'm Ruth, you know what I'm thinking? What am I, chopped liver? I mean, you know, I came back with you. Hey, I was devoted to you. Hey, I took that hard, difficult journey, crossed the Jordan River, the tip of the Red Sea, came all the way through the desert just so I could come back to Bethlehem with you, and you say you come back empty-handed? You know what we'd have done if Ruth was a Baptist? <laughs> she would have said, huh, you don't appreciate me, so guess what I'm going to do? I'm back to Moab, Mama. You do it the best you can. That's what we would have done. That's what we'd been tempted to do. Because Naomi here almost seems to spit in the face of Ruth's dedication to her. But you know what she does? She remains faithful. She remains faithful to Naomi. Ruth teaches us the truth from Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may endure for a night. But what happens in the morning? But joy comes in the morning. You see, your devotion, you may be discouraged at times. People you love may discourage you. The church may discourage you. Other people may discourage you. But know this, when you face discouragement, that's just a test for your devotion. And you are left asking this question, will I throw in the towel? Will I give in? Will I give up? Will I quit? Or will I be steadfast and dedicated? You know why devotion is so important? Here's why. You and I are saved. By an act of devotion. We're saved by an act of devotion. Watch this. Not our own devotion, but the devotion of another. You see, what turns the book of Ruth from a story of bitterness and brokenness to a story of blessing? It's whenever we meet that bachelor from Bethlehem. <laughs> when we meet that man named Boaz, who is going to perform an act of redemption for Ruth. Everything changes, even for Naomi. And you know the same thing is true in our life. There's only one person that can change our bitterness, our brokenness into blessing. That's the one who came from Bethlehem, <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what he did for us 2,000 years ago? He exemplified devotion. He devoted himself to us. He bound himself to us through covenantal loyalty and covenantal love. Beloved, we had rejected God. We had spurned God. We had sinned against God and we deserved hell. But the Lord was gracious and kind to us. And when Jesus came to this earth, he came with a purpose. And that purpose was to die on a Roman cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem in the sins of his people to pay their sin debt. And do you know what the Bible says when he came to this earth, how he responded to that purpose in his life? Luke 9, 51 says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
Literally, it says he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Nothing's going to change his mind. Oh, was Christ's devotion tested? You best believe it was. It was tested through difficulty. Jesus says the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. Did that stop him? No, it didn't stop him. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. Did he face desertion? Oh, you best, you better believe he did. After feeding 5,000 people, the multitudes gathered and he stood in the midst and he said this to them, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And one after one after one, they start leaving him and start leaving him and start leaving him. So much so the apostles are in a panic and Jesus says to them, will you also go? Peter responds, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We're not going to go. But they did. One of his own would trade him for 30 pieces of silver. The one who stood so boldly and said, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. He would deny him one night three times before the rooster crowed. Jesus asked his inner circle to pray with him, and they couldn't even stay awake while he prayed. They would smite the shepherd, and the sheep would be scattered one after the other after the other. But that wasn't the ultimate desertion. No, the ultimate desertion took place on the cross. We're there on the cross of Calvary. Jesus, who had only known the the blessing of the Father. Jesus who had only known the pleasure of the Father. Jesus the one who had only had the Father's face shine upon him in blessing. When he becomes the sin of his people on the cross, he feels the anathema of God. He feels the wrath of God. And with that comes abandonment. With that comes desertion. And with that comes a cry from the cross. My God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? Does Jesus quit? Does he throw in the towel? Does he say, I created the heavens and the earth and these rebels think they can crucify me? I'll kill them all? No. On the cross he cries, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. From the cross, he cries, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And his last utterance from the cross is the cry of completion. To tell us die, it is finished. And he bows his head and he dies. Oh, what did he do in the face of desertion? He was devoted. Did he experience discouragement? Like no one else so much so the prophet tagged him the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, the prophet said. He was laughed at, mocked, spat upon, ridiculed, gawked at while hanging naked on a Roman cross for the world to see. Did that make him want to quit? Did that make him want to Throw in the towel and say, I'm done with these sinners. They all deserve hell. Give it to them anyway. The answer is no. No. As a matter of fact, even Satan attempted to get him to take a shortcut to the glory. 
Oh, put him on the temple. Go ahead and cast yourself down because isn't it written? Cast yourself off the, the temple because you'll give his angels charge over you. Yeah, make these stones into bread. Do all of those things. What Satan is saying to Jesus, take shortcuts to get to the throne. And Jesus over and over and over again says, Man shall not live by bread alone. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. In other words, he's saying to Satan, I'm not going to take a shortcut to fulfill my father's plan. I've set my face to go to Jerusalem. And that's what he did. He did that to do something for us. And what that was, was to purchase our redemption so that we, by faith, and faith alone, could be saved. He died for us so that where he goes, we can go. Where he lodges, we can lodge. So his people can be our people. And so his God can be our God. And here's the difference. Here's the difference. Ruth said to Naomi, there's only one thing that's going to separate me and you. And that's death. And I'm still going to be buried beside of you. But I'm thankful for the redemption Christ devotion purchased. Death can't separate us. Can't do it. I hear Paul write, what shall separate us from the love of God? Shall life or death? No. No. Why? Because Jesus said these words, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Thomas said, Lord, where are you going? We don't know the way. What was Jesus' response? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so today, if you're here and you don't know Christ, you've never trusted him as your Lord and never trusted him as your Savior, Ruth stands as an example to us. Yes, indeed. He'll save anybody, anywhere, at any time. If you call upon the name of the Lord. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like Naomi. Let's be honest. You feel like you've walked in her sandals. <laughs> and you might need some help. You might need some encouragement. Well, I invite you this morning to come. Pour out your heart to God. Come pray if you feel the need to. If you're here this morning and you're being faced with, with, with tests to your devotion. Tests to your dedication and you're being tempted just to throw in the towel to give in and to give up and you need encouragement and you need strength and you need grace I'm going to encourage you to come this morning come pour out your heart to God pray seek God's face if you're here and you don't know Christ I'm going to ask you to do what Ruth did I'm going to ask you to forsake your gods whatever it is the God of morality the God of money the God of whatever and I'm going to ask you to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and him only, him only as your personal Lord and Savior. Let's pray.